Somebody needs to tell Pastor Love to show some excitement. It's just ridiculous. A um, couple things before we jump in. Uh, one is, if you see me wearing a mask after the service, I was kind of maybe possibly exposed to uh, COVID, so I'm just being a little extra careful. Fortunately, nobody's here. I can't, I'm, you're outside of spitting distance, all of you up here. And um, secondly, uh, a few people have asked me and have asked some others, do you guys as a church have any kind of statement on the overturning, the Supreme Court overturning uh, Roe and Casey. And uh, I've got something at my website. Oh, we never did get that up, did we? Henry-Williams.net. Henry-Williams.net. And should be up right now. Um, but you can go there and take, take a look. Uh, there's more than that needs to be said than can be said in the amount of time that I have right now. So I just put it on there. You can check it out. So we are in our fourth week of our summer series, and so we're working our way little by little through the book of the letter of 2 Peter, called Dying Words, because as we see in our passage this week in particular, Peter says, I think I'm dying really soon. Uh, Jesus has told me, and we're going to explore a little bit about what that is all about. Um, But this is going to date you. I want to ask you a question, and it's going to date you a little bit. I'm going to try to do the best imitation that I possibly can. It's a line from a show. It happened almost every single week on this TV show. It was a show from the 80s. That's why I might date you. And I don't think it's on Netflix uh, that you can watch the old show, you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, But almost every show at the very beginning for at least the first three years, first three seasons, there would be this line. Hey, hey, hey. Let's be careful out there. Hill Street Blues, yes. All right. Some of you are like, Hill Street, what? Sergeant, Sergeant Esterhouse, uh, police drama, 1980s, first drama ensemble cast, if you know what that means, uh, on television. Uh, first, uh, like primetime handheld cameras. It pretty much ruined most other TV shows for me. Uh, Lois and I were pretty religious about watching it every week, and you had to watch it at the time that it showed. And uh, it was, we lived on the East Coast, so it was 10 o'clock at night on Thursdays, and we would not miss it for any reason. Won four Emmys for best drama. It would be, at the beginning of the show, they would have a roll call, led by Sergeant Astorhouse. And at the end of the roll call, he would say, all right, let's roll. And everybody would get up, and he would wait until the room was chaotic and noisy, And at that moment, he would get their attention by saying, hey, hey, hey. And everybody would be quiet, and he'd say, let's be careful out there. All right, so it's all these policemen and women going out into danger, calculated to get their attention, just the right kind of Columbo move of waiting and then getting them when they're not expecting it. They should have been expecting it. But at least it wasn't in the script to expect it. So every week kind of caught them by surprise. The whole of 2 Peter, the letter, is like that, what happens at the end of the roll call on that show. Uh, Somehow, Peter believes he's going to die. He has grave concerns, things that dangers that they're going to be walking into 
And he wants them to be vigilant. He wants them to be on guard. He doesn't want them to be caught by surprise. And so he works really hard, as we saw last week, to get their attention. And to get their attention so that they will see the danger and be aware of the danger and not let down their guard. Now, there's no way that we can be vigilant all the time. There's just no way we can do that. And even police officers who are trained for danger, who know the dangers that they're facing, who are carrying guns, which indicates the kind of dangers that they are facing, can't be vigilant at all times. It's why Esther House does what he does as they're about to go out. It's the same with Peter. It's why as he is, in a sense, going out, he's giving them a final message, and he's saying, I don't want you to let your guard down. And here's Peter's concern. We are always in danger of forgetting the foundations of our faith. And when I say forgetting, I'm not talking about forgetting, forgetting. It's not like like if you get some teaching that is on foundational teaching of our faith, you would go, oh, I used to know that, but I'd completely forgot. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is a failure to remember in the moments when we most need to remember. That's what I'm talking about. Fortunately, we know the Bible. Uh, We have the Bible to help us remember what we need to remember and to help us build strong foundations on our lives. We have this letter to help us do that as well. And thankfully, understanding it and applying it doesn't have to be a mystery. So I want to encourage you to open your Bible, if you would, if you haven't already, to 2 Peter chapter 1. If you want to use one of the Bibles in the C-Rack in front of you, it's on page 1,125 in those Bibles, 1,125. So I'm going to pray uh, for the Holy Spirit to illuminate His Word. This prayer is based on 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Please join me in prayer. As we look to Your Word... Father, we ask that you would reveal your truth. By your Holy Spirit, soften our hearts and open our hands to receive. Encourage us, remind us. Shape our understanding and bend our wills to you, Lord. Let all that we do be for you, for your glory, and for your kingdom. Father, we continue to raise up Uh, the war in Ukraine, the people of Ukraine, the refugees, and the increasing hardships that uh, we can expect around the world, around food, because of this war. We pray, Father, that that you would bring this war to an end. We pray, uh, Father, for protection from violence because of the Supreme Court decision. We pray, Father, that Christians, that we as Christians would demonstrate the gospel in these very contentious times, in what we say and in what we do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, follow along as one of our five oakers reads our passage for us. Second Peter 1, 12 through 15. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. All right, so that's a short one this week. And as I said earlier, Peter reminds us 
or tells us, tells those people that he's writing, that his death seems to be right around the corner. And so he says, I think it is right. Verse 13, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Now, I couldn't help but think of people who always seem to be thinking that death is right around the corner for them. You might know people like that. Uh, even though you have a sneaking suspicion that they're going to outlast everybody. And, um, and so a famous case of this, if we went back to the 80s, I'm going to take you back now to the 70s, to a sitcom from the 70s. You might remember a show called Sanford and Sons. Sanford and Son. And it was a favorite around my house. And uh, Fred Sanford would have these fake heart attacks uh, he would use them to try to manipulate the people around him to make decisions that he wanted them to make. So I want to show you just a quick, quick scene, something that happens just about every single week on that show, and watch his son, watch his son's reaction to his father having a heart attack, all right? Let's see. I've never had pains like this before. Oh, this is the worst one I ever had, son. Oh, it's the worst one. This is a big one. I'm dying. You hear that, Elizabeth? I'm coming to join you, honey. Elizabeth. All right, so uh, you might remember a few weeks ago we played a video of v GVCM, our Haiti partners, and uh, it, uh, while I'm watching the video, I had a memory from 15, 17 years ago, I'm not, not sure, at least 15 years, maybe 17 years ago. I'd gone to a conference in California, I'd brought Eve Prophet with me, Eve is the executive director. And um, in the video, yeah, let's, let's play that again because I want to, can we play that again? There's Eve, jump rope. And I thought of that trip because it was 15, 17 years ago or so, and Eve was constantly talking about dying. I don't know what was going on in his life. Maybe he'd gotten a bad report from the doctor. I don't know what it was. He didn't tell me, but he just kept talking about it. He kept talking about what's going to happen to the kids. It was almost like you know, I'm coming to see you, Elizabeth. And I was just giving him a hard time about it, which was fun to do because I'm usually the one talking about death and my family's usually giving me a hard time. And so um, he just kept doing that. So while I'm watching that video and it jump rope, I'm thinking, he's not anywhere near dying. He's doing fine. Now, we don't know that for sure, of course. And his concern was for the kids and his concern was for the ministry. And he, it, I think it spurred him on to think, What's going to happen if I die to this ministry and doing some good succession planning? And uh, something that we're, we're doing as a staff, we've done before, you know, the old hit by a bus, as well as some thinking beyond that as well. And so um, that's what came to my mind. So I can't help but think, my first thought when I hear Peter talking about my death is right around the corner, Jesus told me, either thinking, you know, um, Fred Sanford, uh, like, you better listen to me because I think I'm dying. Or Eve, I really think I'm dying. <laughs> and uh, and I'm, I'm trying to get everything ready for uh, if that were to happen. Those were the two thoughts that came to my mind. And it just so happens that Jesus actually, out of all the disciples, we have a recorded saying of Jesus in the Gospels, 
talking about Peter's death. He didn't do that with any of the other disciples. He didn't single them out and say something about their death. And so some scholars think, is this what Peter is thinking about? So it's in John chapter 21 and verse 18 where Jesus says, after his resurrection, talking to Peter, he says, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Now, John's gospel is thought to have been written the last of all the gospels. And it's thought to have been written well after Peter's death. Peter died sometime in the 60s, all right? And this was written definitely, almost definitely past the 70s, except for a few outliers think it was sooner. So the people who received this would know Peter, and they would actually know what this references. They would understand what it means. You will, you will be led where you do not want to go. We don't know what that is. Uh, there are a lot of guesses. There is a tradition that has been passed down that we don't know if it's true or not, that Peter was executed on a cross and that being executed on the cross, he didn't want to be he didn't want to die in the same way as his Savior. He didn't think it was worthy of that, so he asked to be, he asked to be crucified upside down. I don't know how that would even work. Uh, but it's kind of the image for this series where it's called Dying Words and it has an upside-down cross. That's the idea behind that image. So we don't know. Is that what Peter is just, you know, hearkening back and now, you know, his circumstances are such that he's just old? Uh, or bad health, and he's been praying for healing, and he hasn't gotten it, and he has this sense that Jesus is saying, it's the end, we don't know. Uh, the other thing is, he might be on death row. He might, be, he might have prayed for delivery, and it hasn't come, even though he's been praying about it, and other people have been praying. We don't know. It could be that Jesus has given him a vision, has spoken to him personally. Uh, you see that uh, all the time in the Bible. It could have been that Jesus had spoken to him personally. It could be that someone else, Jesus has spoken to someone else. So there's a prophetic word, a prophetic utterance, and other people in the community confirm it and say, yes, we have had that same sense that Jesus is saying the same thing. We don't know what it is. But whatever the theory, Peter probably has good reason to think that death is right around the corner. And he sees this letter as a way of helping them stay strong in their faith after he's gone. So, a couple of reflections that I had as I thought about Peter uh, believing that death is right around the corner, some reflections that come to mind. One of them is that even though Peter is close to death, his focus is on Christ, and it's on eternity throughout the whole letter. And it's on others rather than on himself. I don't know if you reflect on this. This is where I get in trouble sometimes with my family because I'll talk about this kind of thing uh, just kind of matter-of-factly. But that's the kind of way I want to face my death. And I, um, it's, it, there's no way to guarantee this. There's a lot of times as we're coming to our last days, there are all kinds of mental health things, physical things that we're going through that may keep us from being able to face death in this way. But I do know this. I know that, that there are things, there are ways that I can live when I'm well that I can carry with me into the time I'm dying. 
There's no guarantee. But if I'm not living that way, my life, I'm probably not going to face death that way, right? Thinking about others, thinking about Christ, putting my focus on, on that, and, and not being like overwhelmed with the idea that my life is coming to an end. That's the way I, I want to go like Peter. Um, another reflection is that sensing that God won't be healing, won't bring healing or delivery, is not necessarily a failure of faith. Now, it of course can be a failure of faith. Someone can, under the pressure of illness and death, fail to believe that God can heal. Come to the point where they fail to believe that God might heal them. Okay, so there can be a failure of faith in a situation like that. But I say that it's not necessarily a failure of faith because so many people equate someone coming to the conclusion that this is it, my life has come to an end, or coming to the conclusion that I am going to die and begin speaking about it with their family or with their friends, come to that conclusion and believe, too many people believe, well, that's a failure of faith. There's a whole category of false teaching in the church throughout the world along these lines. And the idea of it is that God always will heal you if you will only believe strongly enough. You have enough faith, God will always bring healing to you. It is false teaching, it is harmful teaching, it's bad teaching, it does not handle God's Word well. And I want to give you an example of this from Peter's life. I mean, we could talk about this for a long time, but I want to give you an example from Peter's life to show you how this works. So if you were to turn to Acts chapter 12, you would find that the current Herod, one of the Herods, like, I don't know, great-grandson possibly of Herod the Great, the, the one when Jesus was born, one of the Herods, arrests some of the apostles. And he, um, and it doesn't say this, but you can be sure that when the apostles got arrested, that the church started praying, right? They would start praying for the apostles and for their delivery. But it says they were arrested and Herod executes James, the brother of John. And then it says, you know, he doesn't get too much blowback from it. You had to be careful as a leader in those days. You didn't want rioting in the streets. He doesn't get that much blowback from it. So it said he was emboldened to also execute Peter. The church goes to prayer, and we hear about the prayer meeting. An angel comes during the night and delivers Peter from prison. Okay? In one case, everybody prays. For sure, everybody prays. And that person dies. If anything, going into the second set of prayers, they would be discouraged and have less faith that the prayer is going to make a difference, right? But Peter is spared. What is the determining factor in those two cases? The common determining factor in both cases is the sovereign choice of God. Not people's faith, but the sovereign choice of God is the determining factor. You don't devalue prayer, and you don't prove faithless by believing that God in His sovereignty often chooses not to heal or deliver us from the danger. That does not prove that you don't believe in prayer. That does not prove 
that you are faithless. And any theology that forgets that fact is false. It's ultimately harmful to a lot of people. And it just, in light of reality, just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's just, a, it's just bad, bad theology. Now, in talking about death, Peter talks about his body in a way that you would think uh, that he has this idea, uh, a, a very particular idea about what's going to happen to his body. So look at verse 13. He says, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent, this tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside. Okay, so Peter describes death as a putting aside of the tent of his body. You might conclude from this that he thinks that the afterlife is a bodiless existence. And a lot of people throughout church history read it that way and read the Bible that way. And many, if not most, still think of our next life as the afterlife as a bodiless existence. But a bodiless afterlife is not how any of the writers in the New Testament thought about the afterlife, least of all Peter. Peter spoke with, touched, ate with the risen Christ. The Apostle Paul tells us he didn't make this up. Jesus spent 40 days teaching the disciples, including Peter. The Apostle Paul later tells us that as Jesus received a resurrection body, we too, when Christ returns, are going to receive resurrection bodies. So, um, there is no way that the Apostle Peter believes that when he dies, he's just going to put his body aside and then he's going to be this like floating spirit that goes around. So what's going on here? Why does Peter speak of just like setting his body aside? Well, pretty simple. Peter just doesn't finish the metaphor. Uh, you, you can't say everything about anything uh, any of the time. It's one of the frustrations of preaching. It's how much I don't get to say, how many things, you know, get left, left on the cutting room floor, how many things I didn't even think about, how many times you're going to look at the passage and go, well, why didn't he talk about this? Because I can't say everything about anything any other time. It's impossible. Now, if he had finished the metaphor of the tent, uh, in his day, he might have said, I'm going, to, I'm going to set aside this tent of a body, and I'm going to get a brand new palace. <laughs> I'm going to move from a tent into a palace. If he were talking today, he might say, I'm going to move from a tent to a five-star hotel or a house on Malibu, you know. It might be something like that, that he would, that, that's how he would finish the metaphor if he had a chance or decided to finish the metaphor, something like that. Now, at Five Oaks, if you've been around here a while, you know we talk about this a lot, that there is going to be a new creation and that it's going to be a material creation. And like the first creation was a material creation. It's very important to understand that it is going to be a material creation. Why is this so important? Why do we harp on it a lot? Why do we keep coming back to it? Now, again, there's so much I could say about this, and it has so many different dimensions, but I'm just going to look at it from one angle today. I'm going to do it with, a, with an analogy of why is it important to talk about the material creation, the new bodies that we're going to receive, resurrection bodies. Um, so the analogy is that for years, uh, I would listen on Saturdays. I, it wasn't like I sat down and listened to it, but I would put on the radio, I'd put on NPR, and I would listen to the program that used to come on at 11 a.m. when I lived on the East Coast um, called um, Car Talk. 
Some of you maybe heard of it. It also had the nickname, click and clack, the Tappet Brothers. And I'm not a car guy at all. I mean, I don't know cars at all. And I don't really care about cars at all. Uh, but I listened to the show called Car Talk, where people call in and talk about the problems that they have with their cars. So why would I do that? <laughs> if you've heard it, you know why. Because these guys just pull you in. They were hilarious and practical for people like myself who know nothing about cars. And one of the, th and interestingly, these guys were MIT graduates and owned a garage in Cambridge where uh, MIT and Harvard are located. And I lived north of that in Boston, uh, north of Boston. But um, uh, one of them has his PhD from my alma mater, Boston University. And so, and, and they were hilarious. One of them has since died several years ago. I don't think they have the show anymore. I don't even, maybe they do replays. I'm not sure. But it completely pulled me, pulled me in. And one of the two brothers, I can't remember which one, but one of them would frequently uh, talk about, he had this theory, and you've heard theories like it. It's kind of like the broken windows theory that uh, was, uh, has been talked about in police work. But his theory was that you, if something breaks down in your car, it doesn't matter how old your car is, get it fixed. It might be a tear. You say, well, it's an old car. No, get the tear fixed. Don't let things go in your car. He says, because when you let things go in your car, what happens is you start losing respect for your car. And you lose more and more respect for your car. Until what you wind up doing is not doing the really important things that need to be done. Like getting oil changes in time so that it doesn't break down. So the theory here is that when you devalue your car, if get out in the next slide, yeah, when you devalue your car, what starts as a dent ends with needing a brand new engine way too often. So why, why am I talking about this? This is the analogy. Likewise, when you devalue the material world that God created and will recreate, you oftentimes end up with personal and global breakdowns. That's, that is how it works. Um, you're more likely to not care about the environment. You might destroy your health by neglecting healthy habits because after all, you only live in a tent, right? And it's temporary and it's not really, doesn't really matter that much because you devalue what God has created and will recreate. Sometimes people who think this way devalue and neglect sexual intimacy in marriage. Or they kind of go in the opposite direction, they live sexually immoral lives since it's just a tent, it's just a physical act, it's just sex. Compassion for those living in extreme poverty begins to take a hit when people think this way. It can be shown in history how groups that emphasize this will oftentimes not be known, Christian groups, for their compassion to people who are suffering because life gets overly spiritualized. Like everything is spiritual. And the concrete realities of God and what He creates and what He cares about get lost in their minds. Now, those kind of bad things don't necessarily automatically happen, and they are not the only cause for neglect um, or for uh, not, not really caring about people in need or any of those kinds of things. It's not like, but, but they contribute to it, and they begin to impact people's lives and then families, 
churches, communities, they, command, they begin to impact entire societies. That's why we emphasize it so much. That's why we emphasize the new creation so much. One more thing, throughout church history, starting in the first century, starting in the New Testament time itself, in the writings of the New Testament, there were people devaluing material existence, and it was like an invasive weed that would spread and kill all the plant life. It's at the root of the heresies that Apostle Paul, not everyone, but many of the heresies that Apostle Paul deals with, probably at the root of the heresies that Peter is going to be talking about. Um, it led through church history to skewed ideas about sex, about Christ's humanity when he was on earth, on just about everything it impacted in a very big way. Devaluing God's material creation and eventual recreation has far-reaching and disastrous ramifications. Not to mention the fact is that you are devaluing something that God values. It's just not true that everything is just going to be spirit. So, really important to emphasize that. So, let's get to the main theme of the passage, uh, which is the importance of remembering. You may have noticed how many times it says it in the passage. So, this theme of remembering goes back to verse 9. I touched on it last week, uh, especially on Saturday night, not so much on Sunday morning, but I touched on it last week when in verse 9, if you look back at verse 9, Peter says, but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Again, is he saying that there are people that literally forget, forget, like, like, oh, yeah, I didn't know, I, I used to know that, you know, that I was cleansed from, no, that's not what it's talking about, it's talking about failing to remember in the moments when we most need to remember something really important. But then it goes on in verse 12, look at verse 12, so I will always remind you of these things. What things? Well, think back to last week, it's referring to what he writes earlier in the letter, verses 3 through 11, a mini-sermon of sorts that Peter goes into, he kind of replaces kind of a Sergeant Esther house. Hey, hey, hey! You know, he's getting their attention because he doesn't do what all those letter, letters did in that time. He doesn't go into a time of thanksgiving and, and gratitude. He doesn't talk about that. Instead, he gives them a sermon. And it has three points. And the first point is God, through Christ, has made it possible for you to be in a relationship with him. He's made reconciliation and redemption possible. Therefore, we should be growing in our character in the person that God is making us into. Number three, when you're growing in character, it will confirm that you are indeed, point one, in relationship with Christ, that your faith is genuine. That, that's, that's the sermon. So, I will always remind you of these things. Verse 13, I think it right to refresh your memory. Verse 15, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Remember the very foundations of the gospel. Remember the foundations of your faith, which he says in an earlier passage, I know that you, your foundations are strong, but I need you to remember. Remembering, recalling, memory, not forgetting. This is a big theme 
in the Bible. It's a really important theme in the Bible. So I've got five grandkids, ages six, five, four, three, two, right now. And, um, and the five-year-old in particular, and sometimes the four-year-old, uh, will um, kind of pull something like this. I'll give you the example of the five-year-old, because it just happened a couple of weeks ago. So we're walking down a sidewalk at White Bear, uh, downtown White Bear Lake, and uh, she takes off running ahead. And I'm trying to give her freedom, you know, not like, ah, stay next to me at all times, even though that's what I want to do, because I'm scared to death of anything happening to her, and I'm scared to death, especially of anything happening to her on my watch. And so, you know, she's running, and she's running, you know, to the end of the sidewalk, and as she gets to about the point where she's going to cross the street, where she's at the corner, I say, Ayla, wait for me. And she turns around, and she basically, not, too, not with too much attitude, but with some attitude, says, I know. <laughs> okay. You probably did. I probably didn't need to say anything. Um, but, you know, uh, maybe I shouldn't remind her because she is, after all, five years old. You know. <laughs> I don't know. So last Saturday, uh, Lois hands me, I'm sitting at the table, she hands me a graduation card. And she says, could you please fill that out? I was going to go to a graduation party on the way here. And so uh, I start to fill it out, and she walks away, and she pulls a Columbo or Esther House thing, and she turns around, and she goes, when you're done filling that out, you may want to put that in your car so you don't forget. And I said, thank you, I will. And I did. <laughs> I did, and I didn't forget. Uh, why? Because we've been married long enough that both of us know, and I've been living long enough, that both of us know, I will forget it. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Even if it's placed, even if it's placed right with my keys and something else I'm taking. Surrounding. You know, like the keys are surrounded by things I'm taking, or the card surrounded by things I'm taking. I will forget it because that's what I do. And I'm good at it. <laughs> but I didn't want to forget it. So, in one case, you have a five-year-old who I think we can agree has some maturing to do <laughs> and isn't, like, really self-aware. <laughs> All right, in my case, at least in that moment, I was self-aware enough not to get offended that she would think I'd forget it, which would have just been hilarious. I think she just would have laughed at me if I'd done that. So, here's my question for you. When it comes to the practices of the Christian faith, the personal practices that God calls us to, and the community, communal practices that He calls us to, so practices like reading the Bible, reflecting on the Bible, ingesting Scripture into our lives, that's a personal practice. Corporate practices like gathering for worship and fellowship, for praying together, for communion, for the teaching of God's Word. Which one is it for you? Which one is it for you? What do your actions reveal about your attitude, about remembering? Is it 
I know. I don't really need to be reminded. Do your actions suggest that? Or is it, I know I need to be reminded? Um, These are the core practices that God has given us to remind us. They're the core practices that God has given us to shape us. They're the core practices of, they're just the regular stuff of community life together as a church, and the regular stuff that we're called to do on our own. These are the things that shape us most into the image of Christ. But too many times as believers, we take a four-year-old's attitude or a five-year-old's attitude when it comes to those reminders. Are you self-aware enough to realize that you're not good at remembering without lots of help? Are you self-aware enough to remember that? Pastor tells a story about shopping at his grocery store. He's on his way to work. He's in a big hurry. He decides to stop. He needs an item. He's not going to have time after work. So he stops. He's in a long line. There's only one cashier. And as he's waiting, it's just moving at a snail's pace. And he can hear what's going on, and people are frustrated. The closer he gets, the more he realizes the cashier is making mistake after mistake after mistake. And it seems that the cause is that the cashier doesn't speak English very well. And he says his first reaction in his mind was, why doesn't she learn English before she gets a job? And then the very next reaction was to remember what he had read just that morning in his time of Bible reflection. And it was a passage in the Bible, and it occurs more than once, where God in his law to the people of Israel says, be kind to the foreigner who lives among you because you too were foreigners in the land of Egypt. And as soon as he remembers that, his anger and frustration and stupid attitude begins to melt away. And he waits for his opportunity. He gets up there finally. And she's in tears. And he looks at her and smiles and says, hard day, huh? Not a big deal, not a big thing, but it's what needed. He needed the change in his heart. She needed a kind word from one of the customers. He was being Christ to her. We need to connect with other Christians so that we, in fellowship, in worship, in serving together, we remember and we're reminded, and we need it all the time. We need to personally, daily connect with God through His Word and prayer to remember and to be reminded. We need to get out of ourselves, really, and out of our whatever our personal agendas are for any given day and serve God's mission in our workplaces and in our schools and in our neighborhoods and in our church so that we are reminded. Even as we serve Christ, I rather be playing. <laughs> but I'm here serving Christ. I'm serving, I'm serving in something that God has called me to do. Even in doing that, we are reminded who we are, whose we are, what our mission is in life. One of our big reminders is what we do every week as part of our response time. 
and it's to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And as I noted last week, he, Jesus actually uses those words. He says, do this in remembrance of me. What do we need to be reminded of? Well, the bread reminds us that his body was broken for us. He died on the cross, taking the punishment that we deserve for our sins on himself. What are we re reminded of? We've been saved from that kind of death. We've been saved from the wrath of God who is just and who will make things right because he is just. We're saved by his wrath because Jesus takes the wrath of God on himself. We need reminders of that. Let's remember together. His blood was shed. And he specifically said for the forgiveness of our sins, we need the reminder when we are feeling shame, when we're feeling doubts, when we're feeling like we're worthless, like God would have nothing to do with us, we need the reminder that we are forgiven. We are forgiven. Let's remember together. Father, we thank you for the reminders that you give us We need your help. We need your motivation. We need your spirit to be at work in us. Not only in living out the truths of our faith, but even in carrying out the reminders. But we're not alone in that. But Father, we have to cooperate with you. We have to take that step. We have to raise that sail. And sometimes we just don't want to. So, Father, help us. Help us to do what you've called us to do so that we can be who you've called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.